from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded November the 2nd, 2017. This is episode number 28, Five Layers. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, back after a week off when I was traveling. Thank you to Stephen Hackett for sitting in for me. I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests from Creative Strategies. Carolina Milanese is back on the show. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you. It's great to have you back. And a first-time guest, uh, another analyst from Above Avalon, it's Neil Seibert. Neil, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. And thanks for inviting me. It's great to have you here. And of course, Stephen Hackett is here, uh, not hosting this week. He gets to kind of lean back and uh, relax or something. Yeah. Hi, Stephen. I poured myself a drink. I've got. I'm set. All right. Excellent. Uh, okay, so let's let's do it. Let's talk about the most interesting stories of the week that Stephen and I have picked for you, and we're going to talk about them for about an hour. That's uh, how the show works. If you haven't heard it before, that's how it works. So. The iPhone 10, it's that week. The reviews are coming out this week. They're, the phones are shipping on Friday. And both uh, myself and our two guests have had uh, had the iPhone 10 for a little bit now. And so we could, we can could talk about the actual product as well as, of course, all of the sort of strange ancillary stuff that... Uh, that came up this week. But I, I thought, you know, we would talk about the real product first, because it is a very interesting product, an iPhone unlike any other. And when the one of the most popular products in the world gets a major change, and uh, that product is shipping, it's probably re- like relevant, and we should talk about it. So I want to ask both of you what you think about the iPhone 10, having experienced it for a little bit. Carolina, what, what do you think? It's been interesting, because the things that I thought would be difficult were not. Uh, and the biggest one was there's no home key anymore. What do I do? You know, Touch ID disappeared on this device. Um, and it's quite astonishing how quickly you get used to the new UI. Um, Apple has always been very good at, at doing things that are pretty simple. But over the years, one criticism that was put forward to them was that there are a lot of gestures and some of them you kind of stumble upon as you using the device. But with the 10, it just feels natural. You know, the swiping up to get home, to unlock, um, it's just very, very natural. And it was interesting to see um, my 10-year-old get in the car the day I got it. I picked her up for school and the 10 was uh, plugged into my car for um, uh, for CarPlay. And uh, without thinking, she picked it up to play as she does when she drives home from school or I drive her home rather because she doesn't drive at 10. (laughs) And and she's like, oh, what's this? What happened? Where's the home button? What do I do? And the ride home is literally six minutes or so, Siri tells me. And by the time we got home, she was fine. And I didn't have to show her she had not seen demos before. She had not watched one of the YouTube channels that <laughs> recorded. Um, so it is that intuitive. And I think that is what is going to get people 
uh, in my opinion, stunned by how just easy it is to get used to it. And the other, the other part is Face ID and how quick that is. There were a lot of people concerned about, well, now it's going to be less... Um, uh, less fast and it's going to be less seamless because it's not before you picking up the device, you put your finger on Touch ID and it would unlock. Well, now it's the same thing. You pick up your phone. You don't have to put it in your face for Face ID to open. And it's literally uh, pick up and swipe and it's just one you know, kind of flow of motion that you do. And it just works all the time. I joked on Twitter that the only time it didn't work was first thing in the morning as I reached to the bedside table when I woke up in a dark room with no makeup and messed up hair. But I also pointed out my husband doesn't even recognize me in that state. So that's okay. And according to Apple, theoretically, once you put in the password, it realizes that was that was probably Correct. you and it learns. Yeah. And it did, actually, because then I tried the following morning and it did work. Wow. Neil, what are your first uh, uh, thoughts about the iPhone X? I would say my very initial impression was that it's a big change. And in some ways, I think that has been watered down over the years, that phrase, because we hear Apple every year saying, you know, this is the best iPhone we've ever had. And and people, you should go around saying, oh, this, this is such a big change or a big update. And when you look back at each of the previous iPhones, yes, there were two or three features that were new. But going through the list, there wasn't any one feature that jumped out at me as fundamentally changing the way we use iPhone. And then you get the iPhone ten. And it's just a different feeling. And I, I compare it to even the iPhone 8 Plus, which I also am reviewing. And with that phone, you use it maybe 15, 20 minutes, and it's basically just the it's it's the existing iPhone experience. There's a couple new things, but you it just feels like a continuation. Whereas iPhone 10, it feels different. I think I said it it was sort of like an iPhone from an alternative universe in a way. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit tricky to describe the feeling, but I think maybe one way is sort of, it's a fresh, it's a fresh feeling. Um, and kind of going through it. I mean, I've had it now, I believe four days. Um, yeah, I mean, the two big changes clearly are that lack of the, the, the home button and Face ID. And I think Face ID really is, is the marquee features, the marquee technology. And and really one question that I was focused on is, does it truly replace Touch ID? Like, is it a genuine replacement? Because I think that was what Apple was really going after. And I think after a few days, I think the answer is yes. It, it, it is a, a genuine replacement. It's not perfect, um, I've, I've noticed a couple scenarios where, and that's the thing, you, you realize how you use iPhone uh, very closely. So, for example, I usually have an iPhone like flat on my desk and I might reach over. Uh, I would press the touch ID, the home button, just to kind of maybe play around with or look at it real quick. I can't do that with the iPhone 10. I have to sort of have a kind of put it up to my face or at least look over it. Um, it's not enough to make me 
want to use Touch ID, but it's something that popped out saying, okay, you know, in, in that case, Touch ID was a little bit better in my mind. Um, another situation uh, that I realized was sometimes you have like a, a, a certain mannerism. So I might be in front of my iMac and I just kind of put my, my hand to my face, sort of like in a thinking position. And what I realized is I had like a finger that's covering part of my mouth. And typically I wouldn't, that wouldn't be a big deal. I just grab my iPhone, press touch ID and, and, and I could do what I have to do. But with iPhone 10, you, you try doing it and you notice it's not unlocking. And then you realize, oh yeah, I have my finger in front of my mouth. So it's, it's those little things that I think over time, they're not going to amount to much, but it just goes to show there's a couple of things about face ID that are um, not as great as Touch ID, but it's if you're listing pros and cons, I do think the pros certainly outnumber the cons. And it, when you start to think about all of the different scenarios where it does work, for example, glasses, um, you know, even in the morning, it, it seems to be, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, it actually does seem to be learning a little bit. I think the first morning, it wouldn't work for me in the morning. I, I guess I look extremely different or something, but this morning it did work. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not sure if that, that in of itself shows that it's, it's, it's learning, but there is documentation that clearly shows or clearly says that, yeah, when you, when it doesn't capture your face and you have to put in that passcode, it is learning as you go. And so if you think about the implications of that over time, if there's roughly 800 million iPhone users and if we go out a couple of years and we assume a, a large portion of those people are using Face ID. Apple has technology here where they're they're constantly keeping up with our faces each day. There's a lot of health implications found with that, certain health monitoring uh, uh, things that you can do. And that's the type of thing that is so intriguing by Face ID. As of now, it just seems like a cool way to kind of get into your phone. But uh, there's a lot there that I think Apple can really uh, run with going forward. What you said about uh, most iPhone models are iterations, and that's just the fact of it. And given that the buying cycle is usually two years, three years, they they stack. And my wife just went from an iPhone 6 to an iPhone 8, and it was a great upgrade because she got to roll through the 6S, 7, and 8 features, and that suddenly becomes a much more substantive change. But the 10 is different in that it, it, it feels like a, a, uh, a you can't you can't have a revolutionary uh, update every year, right? It's just not possible. But this is one of those where it's like, oh, this is a very different, uh, very different device. Um, and the my other point would be about uh, about the face ID and and not having the home button. Yeah, it feels really different. One of the things that I've noticed is that it has. I think when it works well, it's not there like if that if that makes any sense that mm-hmm. that um you it falls into the background you stop to th- you stop thinking about authenticating biometrically and just right. pick up your phone and flip and and that that makes a difference to not think about it there are some stories out there that are good stories about people trying to time face id and touch id and you know you press this button and then you put your finger on it and and all of that but for me i never even really considered after using it for a few minutes um trying to time things only because i lost the feature it just went away which i think is i mean right that that's counterintuitive but it feels like that's the right way to build a feature ultimately the best feature is one that you just forget even exists it just happens in the background i i agree when it works well you don't think about it and and i like um 
Neil's point about the power of Face ID going forward. And I mean, this was one of the things that um, Apple had talked about before, as far as uh, not just tracking from a health perspective, you know, changes to your face. and But think about what that can be when you're talking about a Siri interaction. And all of a sudden now uh, Siri is able to if I'm talking, get the tone of my voice, but also by looking at my face, understand if I'm worried, if I am stressed out, if I'm angry and adapt to that. Um, I mean, that is the ultimate assistant, right? One that hmm. like a human being is interacting with you and reading or uh, all your your body clues and, and mannerism to respond to it. Yeah. And even, even simple stuff like the uh, if the screen lock timeout hits 30 seconds or a minute or whatever you have it set to and it detects that you're looking at the screen it doesn't lock out the phone because you're looking you're still looking at it right Right. why would i dim this but this is now the phone is aware that you are looking at it and can actually change its behavior which is which is very different also the the second tier of authentication which is something that not a lot of people are talking about yet with face id which is you know you are using your phone if you think about the existing iphones and uh you get a touch id authentication for an app that like one password or or the starbucks app or something like that where they want to make sure it's you one more time um, I, I think the idea there is that if you've unlocked it, but um, you know, a and you hand it to a friend, that they can't get into something that you want to have uh, secure. With with Face ID, there's this continuity of um, of authentication. Basically, you launch one password, and it does a Face ID check on you, and right. then it opens. You don't have you know another password to enter or another authentication to do. I mean, you are authenticating, but you're not doing anything. You just are waiting for the app to open. Which that's better. That's like fundamentally a better experience. Uh, the other thing that I, I seem to come to mind was when you're using iPhone 10, you, you, I think you start to get this vision of a future where we're using iPhone and multi touch. We're using iPhone differently. I, I think we're using, we're going to move to a point where we're using multi touch less and then using our are just looking and glancing at our iPhone, I think that's going to be used for more and more going forward. And what that really does is it changes how we use iPhone. It changes almost the definition of iPhone. It's one thing that I've been kind of saying a lot is the amazing thing with the iPhone, one reason why it's sort of defied a lot of expectations here is it it is evolving. It's not staying the same. In the beginning, it was, I think most people would consider it was sort of like just a mini computer you could fit in your pocket. It's moving now into something else. And I think you see Apple beginning to take the steps of augmented reality. If you go out a couple more years, I, I think you're starting to see where the iPhone can sit within Apple's line as, as a sort of, augmented reality navigator where we're using that that true depth camera system up top i mean we're using that for a lot more than just to get into our iphone or and that's i think that's that's a remarkable thing too when you see these rumors of uh, either face id versus touch id and what apple wants to do going forward i think face id is it's it's a big part of the iPhone experience. And I think that it will only probably be expanded to other 
Apple products, essentially anything that you could fit a camera in. I think you're eventually going to want this, all of the additional sensors and cameras that are kind of stuffed into that little notch at the top of the screen. I look at it and I just think, well, this surely this will be in the iMac before too long. Like, how could you not do that to sit down at your your computer and have it auto unlock based on this is much better than trying to figure out how you would bring uh how you would bring touch id to an imac via some sort of external sensor right just stick it in the in the case and then laptops there's some issues with the thickness of the laptop top but i'm pretty sure they could figure it out um one other thing i wanted to ask about before we uh take a break is about where the iphone 10 lives in apple's product line this is interesting in the sense that it is uh two new phones in in one cycle the 8 8 plus and then the uh and then the 10 model and this is the 999 and up uh starting phone um having used it now and thought about the price do, do, have your thoughts about where it sits and who it's for changed at all in the last uh you know in the last week from from when it was announced back in september for me the the only thing that's changed so i think the the initial concern that some people might not feel comfortable with face id um is going away. People are actually blown away when you try it in front of them and say, wow, that is really seamless. Um, it was interesting to see the reaction as well to the form factor because it is a smaller phone. And because of the uh, Super Retina display, aka OLED, um, you have people thinking that you're actually holding a Galaxy. I had a couple of people yeah. m- mentioning that. But then we see the notch. And then the notch has become that differentiator uh, that I think will make the uh, iPhone X and, you know, forward stand out from everybody else that is going to go bezeless. And therefore, you still have that square piece of glass with now no edge, right? And before it was Touch ID, and I think now it's going to become the notch. The back with the camera vertical versus horizontal is the other big giveaway. But it's been fascinating to see people ask, like normal people, not tech people, like, you know, the moms at school, asking me about what it's like. And I was like, well, but, you know, it's a bit overpriced. And then you show him, show them the animoji. And it's like, oh, that is just so cool. Oh, you know what? Oh, I'm going to start thinking about it. So it's something as silly as that, that those shows the, you know, that they connect the fact, wow, the camera is doing all of that. It's not just the cute pig. It actually sees you and it moves, you move your head, the pig moves and you move your mouth, the pigs move. So it's kind of interesting, like something as silly as that gets people interested and they all of a sudden say, wow, there must be a lot of technology there to make that happen. And so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe it is not just overpriced. Maybe there is a lot of technology there. And this is really, as I said, not technology savvy people. These are normal people that might just think, well, $1,000 for a phone, what does it do? You know, does it go make breakfast? Well, it doesn't yet. Yeah, I would say there actually have been two changes uh, to, to my thinking. When when we were at Steve Jobs Theater in September for the unveiling, I think my conclusion after that was that maybe Apple had three flagship phones this year, iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and iPhone 10. And I, I now think that iPhone 10 
is the true flagship. It's not that it's going to – I'm not saying that in terms of sales, but in terms of Apple priority or how Apple views these phones, I think the iPhone 10 really does stand out versus the other phones. The other change was who I think this phone is for. Initially, I said it was for those who just want the latest and greatest technology, but I no longer think that's really the case. I think this, I think iPhone 10 is going to be for those who are comfortable with change. It, and it, it's, it's that big of a deal. It's that much change of this phone. And I think some people, they're going to look at this compared to the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and they're going to go with the iPhone 8, 8 Plus. I tend to think that those phones are actually selling better than a lot of these rumors or uh, a lot of the speculation is saying. I think that those phones are actually going to do pretty well next to iPhone 10. It has nothing to do with iPhone 10's future. It, I think it just has to do with some people, they don't, they're not going to value or they're not going to be comfortable with that change for now. Maybe in the future they will. And I think as Apple expands this iPhone 10 design to other models, you're going to see almost that kind of like that gradual, uh, that gradual move in, in the user base. Cause that's the thing. You have around 800 million iPhone users. They're very different in terms of how they think about technology, how they use their iPhone. And so uh, I think going forward, if you have a line that has, you know, over the next 12 months, the 8, 8 plus 10, it is possible that sales are sort of almost kind of spread out evenly among the three. I mean, that's, that the big thing, of course, is supply. But um, I think that could be maybe surprising to some people who would think the iPhone 10 maybe won't sell well because of its price or other people who think no one wants the iPhone 8, 8 plus. In some ways, I think Apple themselves are kind of seeing how this goes as time goes on. Usually with these new products, it, it comes down to estimating. They're, they're, they think they have a clue as to how this this may go. After a few weeks, even maybe after a few days, you have to adjust that, that estimate. But um, I was surprised at how some of that changed after just a few days of, of using iPhone 10. Yeah, well, we will. Well, I was going to say we will see. But of course, Apple's results, which are coming out as we record this today, uh, won't indicate it and uh, uh, how the sales are going. They may try to characterize it. We may have to wait three months for the next uh, the next report. And of course, Apple doesn't break down by model. So they will characterize. We will analyze all of us and make some guesses about how um, how it's selling. But I, I agree. I think people who buy the iPhone 8 are going to be very happy with it. And and I think you made a great point about um, continuity, that the iPhone 8 is a phone that behaves like your existing phone if you're coming from a 6 or a 6S or a 7. And uh, there can be comfort in that because the 10 doesn't... It's, it's weird and different. And I think it's a lot of fun and I'm really liking it. But it is not... You know, it, it doesn't do things that every iPhone up to now has done. And so... There's more adaptation there, and not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants the first generation of a new product line either. They like to lay low for a little while and see what shakes out. And uh, and the, there's nothing wrong with the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus. They're they're available and good. They're just not the 10. And I think that's why you'll see lines uh, tomorrow, not just the people that want to buy. But I think we tend to forget that not everybody is as lucky as us that gets the demos and the time and you know do early reviews. Uh, 
normal Joe on the street hasn't seen it, hasn't touched it, hasn't, you know, experienced it, which is interesting to then have uh, some people saying, well, carriers are telling people not to show up at their store tomorrow because they won't have them, uh, but go to the Apple store and... I, you know, I have to think that that is somewhat something that Apple wants because who better than sell you something than someone at the Apple store versus a carrier store. And then we know that because there's such a delay to get one of these, the supply is pretty tight. I think resellers alone are going to make some of those lines uh, extremely long. I think in some ways too, people, they, they kind of miss waiting in line outside Apple stores. There's there's sort of a portion of the Apple user base who who looks forward to it. It's an experience. And for the past few major product launches, uh, there that hasn't been possible where Apple did not uh, have stock available for for walk-in. So uh, yeah, I mean that was a little bit of a, a change this time around with the iPhone 10 in terms of the distribution strategy. Yeah, and they're definitely engineering it. I mean Apple Apple could have engineered it to minimize lines, but Lines are good for Apple in terms of a product launch, right? They show that that uh, their products are popular. So Apple is going to do that on, on Friday. There definitely will be lines. There will be TV news stories about it. There will be photos in, on websites and in newspapers. And that's, uh, that's part of the game, too. I want to talk a little bit more about iPhone marketing, actually. But before we do that, uh, let's take a break. And let me tell you about one of our sponsors for this week. This episode of Download is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends over at Smile. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. You can use it to power through a repetitive communication by standardizing and improving those written replies you send every day. With Text Expander, you can recall your best and most frequently used words by creating a keyboard shortcut and letting Text Expander pull in the phrase you need. For example, you could easily set up a snippet for your email sign-off or an introductory greeting that you use when you speak to somebody new, maybe a fillable template to take notes in the meeting. When somebody emails me and says, I would be interested in sponsoring you, what do you offer? I have a snippet that I can pop in that does that so I don't have to write the same four sentences over and over. Text Expander can auto-format dates. They can, it can correct spelling. It can search your team's collected knowledge with a few letters and a hotkey you, so you can collaborate more efficiently efficiently in tools like Slack. Press the tab key for you in your web browser so it'll zip you around in your web browser or your emails. Makes it really easy for you to create text snippets right within the browser. So many different ways Text Expander can make you a more efficient person. If you spend any amount of your day typing at a keyboard, you need to try Text Expander and you can get it free for 30 days on Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Windows. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year when you let them know that you came from download. Thank you, Text Expander, for supporting download textexpander.com slash podcast. Okay, before we move on to other topics, uh, something that came up this week, and I, I'm sort of loath to mention it, but I think it's at least interesting to analyze Apple's PR strategy. As we mentioned, you know, there will be lines, and 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 that's that's part of it. But uh, Apple did something a little bit different this time with how it rolled out coverage during launch week, which is it did a first look with Stephen Levy, who was one of the uh, initial iPhone reviewers back 10 years ago, and it gave access to the iPhone 10 to a bunch of YouTubers. Um, unclear whether they got to walk away with it or whether they were kind of making their, their videos in the vicinity of the Apple Store or kind of some combination thereof. Um, but definitely, there, was, uh, there were a bunch of faces we haven't seen before who were doing... 
uh, content about a new iPhone at the beginning of the week that it came out. And, you know, some people groused about it. Some people thought it was a great idea. But it was different, and it, it is definitely an evolving PR strategy on Apple's point. And I think that's kind of interesting. So, Carolina, what did you make of of seeing uh, seeing a bunch of YouTubers with iPhone X on Monday? Well, my first thought was, well, if you're trying to go after millennials and, and Gen Z with the money of the parents... Um, Video is what these people consume, right? And yep. so uh, mm-hmm. using that as a vehicle versus reading a review uh, is more effective. I also do wonder if um, there's the, the face ID, you know, how do you explain that in words? And it's interesting that pretty much everybody that did a, a more traditional tech review had videos in there with masks and beards and no beards and twins and everything else. So <laughs> video obviously was a big part of the review process for everybody. The other part, though, as I thought about it more is, you know, are we seeing a change because there is a bigger change in the industry and in the population. And these just happen to be for the 10, but it's something that we will see more going forward. Obviously, the 10 is a very important product for Apple, right? And they want to get the broadest available audience. They want to reach out to it. Um, But going forward, maybe it is that the people that they want to reach are more interested in in uh, YouTube than they are uh, reading uh, a magazine or even a blog on online. And that's the bigger picture long term. The other part that I do wonder, and this is totally kind of speculative on my side, is was this a last minute thing specifically in response to the Bloomberg article about Face ID and how uh, there have been some changes in uh, in how uh, thorough the uh, uh, testing of Face ID was, or right. you know maybe you know the, the possibility of lowering the the accuracy of it to get a higher uh, yield at production, and that clearly was something that Apple felt strongly about because they had somebody commented on it saying it wasn't true, and they don't do that very often. So I wonder if that. Um, and and having that part specifically on video to show it did work was maybe something that they felt they needed to do. This is a big thing and it's not a gimmick, right? It's not just for many other vendors, face ID or, or some sort of biometric is there, but m- most chances are not people are still pinging their password in, right? This is not, this is the next phase of Apple. As Neil was saying, you know, there's so much that they're going to be doing going forward. This is, and it's important that we trust it and we trust it with the first product that they're doing. So I, I think they feel very strongly and for good reasons. It's a very interesting topic. I mean, I, earlier this week, I, I broke down the strategy, um, I, I, I mean, I wrote it in an email to Above Avalon members. So if I just kind of take the the big the big takeaway, I saw f- there were five distinct parts to the strategy. I won't go over each part, but w- what it looks like Apple did was they had kind of five layers, um, starting with Wired, and then you kind of go down. They had some publications give on the record interviews um, right. with Apple executives. It, that it, I, the way I look at it is it, it's one thing to do an initial impressions post, but if you're sitting down with Apple executives doing interviews, 
you can't really turn that into an article within 12 hours. You need a lot of time. Right. That, those are the only people who got the iPhone. Well, not everyone, but those, that was the main group of people who got iPhone 10 for a week. Then what was interesting is you had a couple one-offs. I think it was the Ellen show. Uh, I believe Glamour, those were a little bit harder to kind of figure out what what exactly is going on there. And then you had what it, it seemed like was a lot of people were really upset about, which I don't know why, was they Apple invited a group of YouTubers to try out iPhone 10. From my understanding, they did not take it home. They tried it out in, I guess you call it an exhibit demo space. It looked very much like the space that we all go to after an Apple event. Or maybe, right. yeah, and then right. maybe the lobby like outside the Apple store or something. But basically, they got a demo of the iPhone 10, and that's that's exactly how I would describe it. it. It reminded me of just an extended version of the videos that you see in the exhibit space. Two big differences: one, it was not as loud and crazy as as an yeah. exhibit space. But the other the other thing is they were able to use Face ID, which I mm-hmm. think is a, a big part. We weren't able to do that, Steve Jobs Theater. The thing though, I think is wrong is some people. Um, they were kind of insulting these YouTubers yeah. and they were saying yeah. these, they were nobodies and, you know, uh, oh, who cares about what, what they say? And I, I disagree with that completely. I think it was very insulting. The, so, uh, most of those YouTubers, even though they may not have the name recognition of someone who has three, four million subscribers, a lot of them had hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They have a very loyal mm-hmm. uh, fan base. Absolutely. And what was interesting is if you look through the list, they were targeting all different groups. You had some people targeting young people, other people focused on tech, other people focused on fashion. So I think it, this was very deliberate on Apple's part. And I think what they really wanted to do was build some buzz. They want th- These people did not get review units. Instead, they came in, um, they kind of got extended looks at them, and they were told, you know what, Let you could publish one day a- ahead of time. Let's build some buzz so that once the main reviews come out the next day, you kind of get people talking and chatting um it's but to downplay i saw some people saying oh you know these these youtubers were guaranteed to say positive things i think you know that's nonsense i mean these these youtubers they do a lot of different companies a lot of different products uh they're increasingly getting access to companies so i i think it was a, a smart strategy i think given where reviews are going the way that new products are talked about embracing youtube in that fashion is a big deal it's it's a smart move i I think the days of just relying on a couple of people giving traditional tech reviews those days are over um we're not at a point where one person can make or break a product anymore instead that influence that power it's spread out and i think that's a win i think it's a win for consumers because you get more people accessing these products ahead of time and I think it's it's a win for people who want to create content. Um, I think you know I think many of us on this podcast are sort of benefiting from that, in which um, we're, we're not going for these traditional media companies. We're either um, working for uh, various startups or working on our own publications. So uh, I think it just it's it's a reflection of where the the media landscape is moving. Um, so that's why some of the fee- some of the criticism that Apple was getting for this was. 
I just think it was off to mark this time. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is some some degree of uh, of even of sour grapes here because like when you when you feel like somebody else is, has gone ahead of you in terms of access uh, and you're used to being the first one out the out the gate, you know you you feel it. It hurts a little bit. And I think some uh, I think some people in traditional media who get access looked at this and like, well, wait a second, why did those people get access? They're not they're not me. They're not traditional media. But you're right. Media the media world is fragmented and it continues to fragment and. They they want to reach these other audiences and you know i thought those uh i thought those uh those youtube videos were you know they were a varying quality by some definitions of it but they're they're it's their audience that they've built making videos like that if you're coming from the outside you don't understand the context of who they are and what their audience is and uh yeah i think i think it's uh unfair also i think it's unfair that uh stephen hackett who has his own YouTube channel did not get, uh, would they give you an iPhone 10 or would they just like give you an original iPhone hands on? Is that given the content of your channel? Yeah. The history stuff, you know, they're not, they're not into, but, uh, no, I, I agree with you guys. I think these channels are, you know, meeting audiences that, that traditional tech press don't meet. And, uh, I saw some people you talking to us like, Hey, you know, when will podcasters get on this? Well, these channels have, substantially more subscribers than most tech podcasts you know they, they yep. are bigger than than like what we do you know as as individual shows um and yeah so i think it's i think it's a very interesting strategy one thing i wanted to ask the group about since y'all were all in sort of one of these later waves having a single day to either have hands-on or jason you stayed up all night and wrote a review mm-hmm. uh, i know that's different than normal but but how does that affect the work that you can do uh when publishing something for your readers well i i'll, I'll say for me um I love being under embargo because oftentimes with iPhone releases, I get the phone like the day it comes out or the day before, but the, all the reviews are posted and I'm not under embargo, at which point you have to ask yourself, like, I could literally post a stream of consciousness, but what value does that have when all the reviews have already been out there and they had a week to work on it? And so you start to think, I'll uh, I'll wait. Like the iPhone 8, I, I posted my iPhone 8 review last week because I just thought, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to find a different angle. And I'm going to I'm going to take that when so when I get under embargo, uh, even if it's a 12 ish hour embargo, it's kind of exciting because it means that I will be able to drop something as part of the big uh, the big drop. And then I just have to calibrate what I want to what I want to do. And in that case, I wrote, you know, I wrote the story that I wanted to write, uh, given that I could stay up until 3 a.m., which is what I did. I would have preferred it a little the embargo a little bit later, but that that's what it was. And, and it was fine. I think it was. I think it was fun to be in the in the embargo group um, for me. So I'm okay with it, right? Like I, I I think if you're somebody who used to be in the I get it for a week and now you're thrown in the uh, in the less than a day pit with the rest of us, then I would not be shocked that it's grumpy. I don't I I don't know whether their motivation was to get people to just do quick reactions or whether there were just some timing issues and that they thought that this was how they wanted to do it. That they um, the fact is if you if you limit uh, the amount of time a reviewer can spend with a product you could get a dashed off review you could also get the reviews to roll out over the course of many days which actually i think is better for apple in terms of getting ongoing coverage during a product launch so i don't know that's from my perspective that's that's how it went uh, carolina from you from your perspective what do you think uh, i have not uh written anything yet for tech minions uh, and i 
made that choice. Um, you know, like you, I could have stayed up all night. And <laughs> but I had shared some of, but I'm not as committed. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm still feeling it. So, you know, I paid, I paid for it. Um, I, I had shared some of the first impressions on Twitter. And I think that is important because in a way that's some of it is what you experience in a store, right? So it is how you as a consumer, not you as a tech person, uh, if you go into a store and you want to figure it out, the things that they show you first, what impacts you, you know, as I said, looking at my daughter and see, look at her figuring out so that, but then there are broader implications that I think you're going to want to spend some time with a device and think it through and think, you know, what does this mean for the next device for me as a user, for the services that I'm using, for the apps that I'm using, you know, there, there's a lot more stuff that I think um, should come later and it's hard to do in 24 hours because you're just getting your head around it. Um, and, and it's really, what does it all mean? But the first impressions are good, especially uh, I think at a point where, uh, you know, we are getting adjusted to a device that is very different. And I think that probably that's what Apple wanted, your first impression. When you pick it up, how does it feel? How long did it take you to get used to it? And, you know, if you're talking to your friends, same things, right? Apple relies a lot on early tech adopters as evangelists, you know, not not the real ones that they pay for, but as is normal consumers that go and buy this thing and then tell their friends about it. And that's the first impression that people will get. So how is it? Yeah, and, and for me, I think the release cycle this time around... um I mean, I, 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 I didn't have any issues with it. I actually kind of liked it. And, and I sort of knew I was going to publish on my website a, I, I would purposely focus on initial impressions. And the great thing about initial impressions is all you have to have is your initial impressions. So you, <laughs> yep. it only takes a little bit of time to go through your initial impressions. Now, of course, you have to actually write the post, which takes a lot of time. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to do that. And I made it clear. I said, this is not going to be a comprehensive review. You technically can't have a review. Just look at the battery life, for example. Yep. Uh, we didn't right. have enough time. To, so there was no way of doing a, a, you know, the quote unquote overview. So I said I did my initial impressions and I actually recorded a video and, and did that overnight. And I, for me, it works really well because then I have the daily email and then I could kind of update my impressions as time goes on. And I think the bigger point in all of this is in many ways, uh, I know for like, many of my readers, uh, they're not necessarily interested in a comprehensive review, but they just want to sort of know how it's like using the product. And they are fully aware that I may say something on Tuesday and things may change if I use it more on a Thursday or Friday. I understand how that could be kind of off that that could be a problem from for some sites that are used to that sort of tech heavy uh, comprehensive review where you really do need a week you need a big team of of 
videographers and all the people kind of putting it together. I think they probably struggled a little bit with this cycle. And I think a lot of people, it seemed like they sort of did an initial post and then they sort of said, well, we're going to do a review maybe next week or a couple days later. And even some of the YouTubers I looked at, the initial video was sort of an unboxing video. And now you're seeing like face ID videos. So in some ways, it could be that Apple kind of did this because they knew, okay, well, we know people aren't going to do reviews in 12 hours, but we think you're going to probably come out with various updates over the span of a couple of days. And again, the goal, the big goal in all of this is just to get people talking about it. You got the launch tomorrow on Friday, get people talking about it, get people excited. That's the whole point of all these launches and, and reviews. So I think it all kind of comes together. But personally, I guess just the way that I my workflow is, it, it worked out fine uh, in terms of uh, not having a, a significant amount of time beforehand. It prolongs the limelight too, right? Mm, because does. you're going to do the first impressions and then t- tomorrow you're going to talk about sales and then next week you're going to do uh, or in two weeks a bit more of in-depth review. So to Neil's point, you keep on talking about it, right? Yep, absolutely. And uh, that's that, it's funny, the first impressions thing. That's usually when I don't get an embargo. That's absolutely my strategy is basically I'll use it a little bit and then I'll write a thing saying, hey, I just used it a little bit. Here's what I think so far. And that's all uh, that's all you can do really and that 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 for a lot of people that is that's great information because they don't have it yet and they want to know what it's right. like to use it and so there's nothing wrong with that but yes i do think that the rolling thunder strategy of apple pr is happening in the background um let's take a break and uh, let me tell you about one of our other sponsors this week this episode's also being brought to you by balance open that is a free open source mac app for checking coinbase coinbase is a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies like bitcoin but also so Ethereum, uh, Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of everything. If you're not familiar with cryptocurrency, that's fine. It's okay. Balance wants to actually help teach you about cryptocurrencies, and they will do that by starting you on your way. First thousand people that go to this URL, bal.money/relay. That's bal.money/relay will receive two dollars in Ethereum currency for free as a gift from balance so check it out today find out more and try out balance open bal.money slash relay bal.money slash relay thanks to balance for your support of download now before we move on to our other topic today i want to share the story you might have missed something that flew under the radar but is worth mentioning the carry 42 2600 euro two-player arcade console encased in a handcrafted wooden box basically if ron swanson from parks and recreation made a video game console this would be it it's a wooden (laughs) box with a 12 inch lcd display stereo speakers a 12 volt dc power supply and 16 gigs of storage pre-installed with 100 different retro games you can load additional games via usb the default version is made out of solid american walnut ron swanson approves features black and white arcade buttons but you can customize it to include other surfaces like mother of pearl inlay if you're feeling fancy the deal is the reason you can customize them is is that the the guy's only going to make 50 of them and they start (laughs) at three 
$50,000, which I, this is a really fun story by uh, Heim Gartenberg at The Verge about this that we'll put in the show notes, but uh, which is the first time we've had a, uh, a story by the uh, son of one of our panelists. That's kind of fun. Um, and uh, he says, well, it's just for, you know, so it's really more for, for the well-off. But it's like, I don't know, like $3,000 if you're really into video games, cl- classic video games, and probably really into hardwood objects uh you know three thousand dollars isn't necessarily going to break the bank you just got to really excite be excited about it or you could just uh check out the retro pie project and uh put it on some device you already own you could also do that but you wouldn't have uh the the american walnut then anyway moving on to our next topic uh i didn't want this week to pass without mentioning uh it was halloween this week so lots of spooky and scary things were happening in washington dc where congress (laughs) talked to facebook and twitter and google about their businesses and potentially what happened during the run-up to the election last year involving uh, foreign actors, specifically Russian uh, Russian government-connected actors, buying ads on social media platforms and trying to influence uh, the opinions of Americans during the run-up to the election. Um, I don't want to get into the details here. There was a lot. It was two days of hearings in front of a whole bunch of senators. Um, the I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to ask both of you about sort of the larger picture about Washington trying to understand and possibly regulate Silicon Valley. But I did want to point out before we did that, just there's a hilarious... I, sorry, I found it hilarious story uh, that the New York Times posted about one one ad in particular, which literally shows Satan and Jesus arm wrestling over the course of the election, just because that was a thing. It's uh, yeah, okay, and it was an ad paid for by a, a Russian linked thing. But I just love that somebody thought, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna work. Arm wrestling, Jesus and Satan. Okay. Um, also, Diane Feinstein, uh, senator from California, gasped basically when Twitter said that they had uh, 350 million users. Um, uh, I don't know what she would have done if she had found out how many people are Facebook users. It's in the billions. Um, a lot, you know, lots of lots of interesting questions. Uh, not a whole lot of answers. But what about the big picture here? To to both of you, Neil, what do you think about the big picture of? The government and con- you know Congress trying to understand the scale and the operations of these enormous Silicon Valley companies that have such a huge impact on our our country and the world. I wrote down a few numbers before the podcast, and they were market caps for uh, essentially just four companies: Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. And it came out to two point six trillion dollars. So the four those four companies alone are worth $2.6 trillion. And I think this issue of Washington and really governments around the world trying to understand how powerful these companies are in Silicon Valley, uh, it's nothing new. This has been going on now for a number of years. You could go back to even the iPhone, the San Bernardino iPhone case, where I think there were a lot of people who were... uh, they knew that people like their iPhones. They knew that Apple was selling a lot of iPhones. But I don't think there is this understanding of just how powerful these companies are in terms of how 
they're involved in our life. It, it's not just companies delivering, you know, it's not just a search company. It's not just a, a company selling phones. It's not just a company delivering news. These companies are really, they're playing, they're, they're grabbing our time and attention throughout the day in the way these companies are kind of battling each other for our time. And I think there's still this misunderstanding as to just how influential and just how powerful these companies have become. And so if you take a closer look at some of these reports, I think you just you, meant, you highlighted a couple of examples uh, a few minutes ago where I, I think there's misunderstandings regarding scale and um, just what is occurring or what's not occurring. Right. I think it just goes to show there, there's a divide out there between uh, Silicon Valley and, and, and sort of capitals around the world as to uh, who who is who are the companies or who are, who are the entities that people are really turning to or people who are uh, you know which entities are people looking to for answers and um, it's you know I, I'm not sure how long this will take this this process or is where where it's headed but um, you you get the impression that we are still only at the very very early stages. You go on Twitter and you you start to see some reporters who. Um, you know, they're, they seem to get a little bit excited here where you, you have kind of government officials or regulators um, kind of for the first time looking at these companies and saying, hmm, you know, m- maybe we need to uh, uh, kind of approach this differently than what, where we are. Uh, it, it's I think it just goes to show going forward, these companies will probably continue to gain power. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I cover really the financial side of these companies and uh, at least on Wall Street, uh, you know, they are the ones that are doing the best and and people are, are noticing, they're investing in them. These companies have uh, almost unlimited capital at, at their expense. And, and I think that that gives these companies a lot of freedom um, and, and a lot of, uh, essentially a lot of potential to do a lot of things. And, and so we'll, we're going to probably see this balance or this tug of war here here um, going forward. So that, that's really my my overall view on, on the topic. It's a long-term issue that I think the government obviously needs to understand. I don't know how successful they can be in regulating these companies, but the fact that they're at the minimum, they need to be educated about it, to your point about not understanding how many people are on Twitter, how many people are on Facebook. But not just that, how many people do not read the press? You know, our president keeps on going on about how the the media is uh, is crooked. But reality is that there are more people on Facebook and Twitter getting their news than there are people reading the New York Times. And, and this is where we are, you know. And so understanding how that works, understanding how uh, people get their information, how on everything, not just politics, but on, on anything that is occurring in this country and abroad as well, because it's not just a U.S. issue, right? Um, I think is very, very important. How you go about regulating something like social media, um, which is media, but it's not a newspaper or, or, or TV. I think that's different. And I mentioned this before talking to, to a friend. It's like, you know, the difference is that it's not as transparent as it is with a magazine, um, sorry, a newspaper or or a TV channel. You know where a particular TV channel or newspaper sits from a political perspective, right? 
On Facebook, you don't. You don't know where the actual news originated initially. And, you know, for a lot of people, I was watching CNN one morning and they were talking about um, some of the unrest during the election and, you know, everything went down to one video that this random person posted on Facebook and it was one person, but it escalated and it was, you know, reposted so many times that it became news as if it was a fact, but the person wasn't even part or witness personally, you know, what happened. So that's what it is. And I think that is the concern first, before you start to think about, you know, other government tempering with that information. Um, so it is a, is a big, big issue going forward. And I don't know how you start kind of pulling it apart and trying to address one piece at a time. Yeah, these entities are, you know, it, it, so large uh, that the governments have to look at them and wonder, like, who's more powerful here? We have a system of nation states in, in this world that has grown up, but you have these huge corporations that work across those nation state boundaries, and they have a huge amount of power and ability to shape people's opinions. And it's an interesting clash. I did have a moment while watching one senator ask Facebook about how they um, how they screen advertising. And of course, the answer was basically that they don't. And that they have some some degree of it, but that basically the volume is so great. And this is a typical Silicon Valley story, which is they are able to do scale using technology that changes the game uh, because they they can they can automatically process things at scale. And you know, a newspaper used to have a, a whole team of salespeople who would personal you know, cultivate personal relationships with everybody who was buying an ad who wasn't in the classifieds. And that that Facebook has greatly benefited, and Google of especially from this self-serve uh, auction-based uh, high-scale business. Um, and I, I had that moment where I thought, boy, what would happen if the US or the EU regulated that to the point of like, you need to have a background check for everybody who advertises above a certain scale on your service? Like that would break so many business models. And I guess that I'm not saying that will happen, but that is the flip side of this is that they've been allowed to all this, all this growth that has happened has been able to be done because uh, it's been legal for them to do those things. But that is the ultimate like fear. I think if you're Google or Facebook is what if some of your things that allow you to scale got regulated and it completely changed your business model, that would be something uh, that would be kind of dramatic. And then the other thing I, w I would notice, there was an interesting give and take with Ted Cruz and the, and the people on the, who were, who were being interviewed at the, at the hearing about picking winners in terms of news. And this is another thing to watch, which is like if Facebook decides that they didn't like what happened in the last election because they got taken advantage of and they felt like stuff was bad, like Facebook and Google could tweak their algorithms to push people toward one point of view and away from other points of view, no matter what your point of view is. And obviously Ted Cruz was complaining that he thought that they were steering them slightly away from Republicans and toward Democrats. But regardless, if that's the primary information source, and then they get to steer the, steer everybody in one direction or another, that's scary too. But how do you? How would you regulate something like that? Either I don't know. 
there are a lot of issues here. We're not going to solve it in one episode, but it is interesting to see one of these. This week was one of those moments where you saw the interface between the governments and the tech giants, and it is an uneasy uh, meeting that they're having. And I don't know where it'll go from there, but it is very interesting. Thank you for sharing your thoughts about it, too. That was really interesting. Uh, We are out of time. So um, I will remind people what to look out for in the week ahead. Well, we said it. There's going to be people in lines outside your Apple store uh, because they're all buying iPhone 10s. That's going to happen. That's going to happen Friday. Who knows? There'll probably be lines over the weekend. You never know. And then next week, I'm sure much more will go on and we'll talk about it here. But that's the end of download for now. Carolina, thank you for being here. Where can people find the stuff that you do? As always, a pleasure. And people can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese and on my weekly column on techpinions.com. And Neil Cyber, it was so great to have you. I hope you come back sometime. Um, where can people find your stuff? Uh, people can go to aboveavalon.com. And um, I'm also on Twitter at Neil, N-E-I-L, Cybart, C-Y-B-A-R-T. And go over to Above Avalon and become a member and you can get Neil's thoughts directly, beamed directly into your mailbox <laughs> yeah daily emails yeah. all about apple very nice uh and stephen hackett thank you as always uh one of these days apple's going to give you a, a you know an original imac oh you have a lot of those they'll give you something old to to review under embargo i'm sure perfect yeah that's great that's great <laughs> the iphone 10 in in like five years they'll get you one of those yeah. under embargo I'll be set. Yeah, it'll be great uh and thanks to everybody out there for listening to download i'm jason snell we will see you next week and until then we'll be watching the headlines so you don't have to.